the Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 13, Gaming and Education with Mike Washburn. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Hey, Kyle, what's going on, man? Hey, another day, another uh, talk about education with another beer. What about you? Uh, yep, pretty much the same thing. So um, I guess we should start introducing ourselves. Um, I'm Ben Dixon. You can follow me on Twitter at BDixonNV, or you can check out my blog, Rummages and Ramblings, at BDixonNV.wordpress.com. And I am the other half of the Beer EDU podcast, Kyle Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at AndersonEdTech. You can also find my blog at www.AndersonEdTech.net. And then I will put the link in the show notes also to my video blog that has not been getting much attention lately because, (laughs) well, life has been happening. So Totally. Totally. It's beer time. Oh, yeah. So, Kyle, what do you got for us? Today, I have the Great Basin Brewing Company Outlaw Milk Stout. Oh, yeah. And what this is, this is a stout that is milk. And that, while that may sound weird to some people, it's not literally milk added to beer. What it is, uh, it's a 5.2% ABV, 20 IBU um, stout that where they add sugars from lactose. The, the lactose that is in milk, those sugars... They extract that, and then they add that to the brew kettle for the yeast to feast on. And what you end up getting is a nice coffee, chocolate uh, flavor, and then it's got a really silky mouthfeel. That's what the lactose is doing for it. Okay. Uh, it's a great cold day brew. It's been kind of cold where we're at here, although our guest will probably disagree uh, yeah. when we introduce him here in a few minutes. Um, but I will say, last summer, right before I moved to Reno, I was packing up and doing some different things in las vegas when it was 110 degrees and one night i was cleaning off my grill to pack it to move it was 110 out and it was the only beer i had in the fridge and i pounded one of these in like five oh. minutes i don't recommend that but Ooh, yeah it's actually very drinkable some of your stouts you know you're definitely not going to do that but this one actually is very drinkable so it's it's a pretty smooth one yeah i would agree with that but i don't think i would drink it it's not my go-to in 110 degrees no, certainly not. So um, you decided to go local as well because Great Basin is from the Reno area, but you yep. went with a local beer as well. What do you got? Yeah, so I got uh, another local brewer, Lead Dog Brewing. They're a, they're a newer one, and uh, I went kind of I went kind of the opposite of you, and I I have uh, one of their Citrus Sola Solo IPAs. So this is a six point four ABV, about sixty IBUs. It's a lot of Citra hops, melon grapefruit flavor really refreshing um this i would drink in 110 degrees um and it, it is it's a really um i would say it's it's one of your typical um citrus ipas so just a good I've solid had that one it's a very yeah. good one and we've actually featured lead dog before when we had yep. the reading with love there uh, a few right. episodes back as well so uh well very nice and um, I believe we also have a guest tonight coming at us. So uh, Mike Washburn is with us here today. So Mike, how you doing? I'm fabulous, boys. Fabulous. Great to have you, man. Great to have you on. 
Always. Thrilled to be here. Yeah. Very nice. So, Mike, um, what are you drinking today? So, I come from Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and um, I think the first thing I always mention related to beer is that there's about seven craft breweries within about a 20-minute drive of my house. Nice. Uh, so, I should give a shout-out to a couple. Um, Flying Monkeys uh, Brewery is right in downtown Barrie, super popular. Uh, Redline uh, Brew House is also right in Barrie. And uh, Barnstormer uh, Brewing is um, my jam, and they're they're right in the city. So there's three right in the city, and then there's about six or seven uh, that are all really really close. My go-to is Creamore Springs, um, uh, the craft lo- or the lager that they make. Um, at Creamore Springs is local. Uh, Creamore Ontario is about 25 30 minutes from Barrie. Uh, it is owned by a, a large brewery, I believe Molson, but um, they are very independent uh, and they they haven't messed with their beer in uh, 100 years or so. So um, Creamore Springs is my go-to. Uh, I will always have that all day. Well, not all day because that's a bad thing, I guess. Um <laughs> But that's that's what I tend to uh, to lean on when I'm when I'm just picking something up. Cool. I'll definitely have to look into that one a little bit, and yeah. maybe afterward we'll have to figure out some way to uh, do a international beer exchange here. Maybe oh, get man. you some Nevada beer, you get us some uh, some Canadian Ontario beer yeah. there. So we had to drop the Canadian part because out here in Nevada, if you say Ontario, people will automatically think Ontario, California. That's yes. True. Yes. So I, you know, I grew up in Michigan, so I bordered Ontario. And, yeah. um, and actually, if you go way back in my family history, my ancestors first moved from England into southern Ontario, like in the Niagara Falls area. So you, you could say I'm part Canadian. I And I think we should, because yeah. that, that seems really cool these days to, to be part Canadian. So. Absolutely. So there we go. And, and then to Canadianity myself a little bit more, uh, Molson was my jam in college. Especially okay. if we would yeah. if we would cross over the border um, <laughs> after we turned nineteen, they had versions of Molson that you couldn't get in the states. Like you could get Molson X and Molson Golden. Yeah, and yeah, five zero. Yes. So wow. all we had we had Molson Canadian and Molson Ice, and then later yeah, on they brought over. Then they brought over Molson Triple X and. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yes. Whoa. Yes. Whoa. Um, ben, for since you're uninitiated. Molson Triple X was a lager that was like 11%. Oh, I've had Molson Ice. I've never seen the Triple X. No, the Triple X was, uh, <laughs> it was powerful stuff. We'll say, Ooh. I like to tell people that one would put hair on your back. It was wow. a powerful, powerful beer. So, but, um, so great to have you here, Mike, yep. coming at us all the way from Barry. Um, I do got to ask real quick season ticket holder for the Colts. No, no, it's funny how uh, the Colts has come up twice now. Um, in FETC, someone brought up the Barry Colts, and, and now you, and that's hysterical to me because uh, I think there are people in Barry that don't even know the Colts exist. Uh, <laughs> the Barry Colts are the OHL uh, Ontario Hockey League team. I'm not a season ticket holder, and uh, I'll admit that I haven't been to as many Colts games as I, I should um, go to because it is awesome hockey. And, and certainly the Barry Colts have been pretty darn good for a long time. Uh, so, no, I'm not a season ticket holder. I should go more often than I do. I've lived in Barry for about, well, off and on for about 10 years. 
mm-hmm. and I've probably been to about five or six games, so not nearly enough, man. Yeah, I asked me just because uh, growing up in Michigan, we had not far from where I grew up, you had the Saginaw Spirit, and then yeah. my aunt and uncle were season ticket holders for the Plymouth Whalers before they there moved to Flint and became oh. the Thunderbirds. So I used to follow the OHL pretty heavily. And I mean, I still do because I'm just a big hockey fan, uh, but just not, it's, it's a lot harder when I'm 3000 miles away to follow OHL. So, so I grew up in Peterborough, uh, which is home of the Peterborough Peets. Yes. And um, we, the Peterborough Peets, I I don't know why I said we, I I mean, I I don't know if I ever even went to a Peets game, but certainly proud of the fact that uh, it's the home. uh, I was growing up and, and coming of age, uh, during the era of um, uh, Chris Pronger, and he was the captain of the Peets for quite some time. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think of the other the other guy who Mike Ricci. Yes. Uh, both Chris, both Chris Pronger and Mike Ricci were on yep. the Peets when I was a, a teenager, and that's the year that they I think they won the Memorial Cup one year while I was uh, when I was young, and the Memorial Cup was in Peterborough one year. Uh, and it was a gong show in the city. Um, and it was pretty exciting times in Peterborough when, uh, yeah, Pronger and Breachy were on the same team together and absolutely killing it in the OHL. Very wow. nice. I, this is another one I could talk all day is talk hockey. That's for a separate <laughs> episode. So, sure. But, um, hockey so to you. Let's talk, let's talk to our listeners a little bit about who is Mike yeah. Washburn. What do you do? We, we've established you're from Barrie, Ontario, but what do you do? What makes you tick? So – my uh, day job, I am the head of curriculum and training for a company called Logics Academy. Logics Academy is probably Canada's largest and, and best um, supplier of educational robots and educational uh, slash STEM ed tech curriculum. Um, so I'm in charge of all of that. We um, sell and distribute and manage all of the Wonder Workshop products in Canada and all of the make block products in Canada. So that's uh, Dash and Dot, uh, Q, uh, and for make block things like the MBOT and Cody Rocky uh, and AirBlock, all of those devices uh, and any other new products that we, we bring on board as well. So my role in the company is to do PD. I do a lot of PD. I travel okay. a lot now uh, all over the country teaching teachers how to use robotics and coding in the classroom. Cool. Uh, I, um, I do a lot of, of conference sessions in Canada where I'll, I'll go in and do talks on different subjects. I'm kind of working on one right now where I'm going to talk about robotics and 21st century skills uh, and how robots, you know, help students learn things like collaboration and problem solving and, and iteration. Um, in addition to all of that, uh, I, I, um, I'm the co-host of a, a pretty uh, cool podcast on education. Um, on education is uh, was started in March of last year, and since then, it's generally become the most downloaded ed tech podcast in in North America, at least according to the iTunes charts, which is uh, pretty surreal to say. Uh, and still, you know, you pinch yourself every day um, when you realize, you know, how far we've come. Um, but, uh, you know, so the podcast is super exciting and has brought me, uh, a, a lot of interesting opportunities and, and taken me to a lot of really cool places. Cool. Yes. I see that you presented at conferences like ISTE yep. and then, um, 
I know that one, but um, you also presented at BIT, which, yeah. based on what I could find, it sounds like it's like Ontario's kind of premier event. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a smaller conference uh, for Ontario for edtech edtech in Ontario almost specifically. Um, so I've I've presented at Bit. I'm actually going to be a spotlight speaker at um, what's called Connect. Connect is um, a probably the largest edtech conference in Canada. It's in Niagara Falls. I'm going to be doing a. Um, it's not a keynote, but it's like the next tier under. I'm like the B team, I guess, uh, for for Connect. Um, I'll be doing that in May, uh, and then I've I've done ISD twice. I just spoke at FETC with Steve Isaacs on esports in education. Uh, I wasn't even on the program. Uh, I just happened to be there, and Steve was like, "Hey, you should come up on stage with me." We wrote the article together on Ed Surge about esports, so he's like, "I'm going to be talking about this article," and most of the session is surrounding the things in the article. So you're here. Let's do it together. So you know, I. Who needs to write session proposals anymore, man? I just have friends, and they invite me on stage, and it's pretty rad. There you go. Cool. Yeah, man. So, and it also, I was um, looking to that. You were actually interviewed in one of the biggest newspapers in uh, Canada, at the Toronto Star. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that kind of happened out of the blue. They called the school when I was, because I was teaching at the time. They called the school. Uh, I think that they found out about me through um, ISTE and speaking at ISTE. Uh, and they wanted to know about my game design curriculum. I, I've designed basically a, a year-long project-based learning game design course for my grade 8 students uh, at the time uh, where they, they take um, – uh, basically they run through a simulated game design process as if they were – their own little game design studio. So they do, they write the narrative, they do the storyboarding, uh, they do all of the graphics, all of the sounds, uh, all of the programming, and work on it the entire year. So they have to kind of map out their their um, their timeline and their goals based on their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and, and I had been running that project for about five years. Uh, I wanted to kind of hone it a little bit before I started talking about it a lot, uh, but the the time had come, kind of ISD 2018 is when I first started talking about it, and um, they, yeah, I think the Toronto Star heard about this, and and they they basically asked me about my computer science curriculum and and what I was doing, you know, to teaching computer science, especially to kids. Like I taught grade two all the way to grade eight at various oh, wow. points in time, so I was teaching coding to to you know five and six and seven year olds um you know and my wife actually is is a kindergarten teacher and she teaches um coding to, to kindergarten students uh and it's so it's it was pretty it was a pretty neat experience to be in in the toronto star that's for sure yeah so it's uh, really refreshing to hear that they do more than just either rise up the toronto maple leafs or claim that the sky <laughs> is falling around them so there's no in between with the maple leafs with that paper <laughs> Right, right, exactly. So, but I'm really interested to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on esports, though. I mean, this is something that's it's a relatively new phenomenon yes. here um, in our world. Like I'm t like within the last year, really, this has really started to take off, and and unfortunately, yeah. it kind of got a bad rap there a few months ago when you had the tournament. I believe it was in Orlando where the guy 
came in with a gun and unloaded yeah, and, and, a, and killed several German. people. Yeah. It was a Madden German, yes. Yeah, so, yes. Um, but um, I just would like to hear a little bit more about like your thoughts on it, and then like how you've implemented esports in education in your area. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of esports going on in Ontario, esports in schools anyways. Uh, I'm certainly um, have been talking at least a lot lately with the folks that are doing uh, a lot of the heavy lifting in the U.S. about how I can help them bring it up here. Uh, I think that, well, there's there's two ways that I kind of got into this esports EDU stuff. Um, I think the first one is is more of a personal thing. And that's it. I'm a I'm a gamer. I, I've been playing uh, video games, uh, you know, most of my uh, life. And I think that when I became a teacher, I decided that my my goal was to. I always say my goal is to make my hobbies as close to my career as possible. Uh, and and I'm I feel like I'm doing a pretty darn good job of that now. Um, and so that means that I get to work sometimes with video games, and that's pretty sweet. Um, and I guess the second thing is I've always tried to kind of operate at the fringes a little bit. I, I, I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, always doing the right thing. Uh, I didn't always do the right thing as a teacher, um, mm-hmm. but I was fine with screwing up um, hard sometimes, uh, trying things that were absolutely going off the rails and, and then just realizing it and moving on. I did a lot of that, to be honest. And so I'm actually a part of my talk at connect is going to be about just breaking things about um, the ways in which we as teachers should continue to try to, you know, screw up and then get off the mat and keep going. And I think esports is super fringe, but it's not as fringe, I think, as people as it should be. Uh, I mean, there are not only is esports uh, a super interesting medium to begin with, just in the sense that it's video games and we're playing games. But, right. you know, Steve and I in particular, when we talk about it, we also talk about it from an ecosystem point of view. I actually use the term esports ecosystem quite a bit um, when I talk about esports because it isn't just about the kids playing the games. It's not just about the kid with the controller in their hand that's, you know, that's, you know, running middle for in League of Legends. It's It's about the the areas that you can build up surrounding esports where you can engage almost every child, um, where there's potentially script writing for narratives. You can have video, you can have audio work, you can have graphic design. Um, you can have so many ancillary jobs where if you were a teacher that really wanted to build this stuff out, you could build up a really cool project-based esports curriculum that touched on math, science, um, you know, uh, art, music, uh, video and production. All of these things um, can be touched by developing a really robust esports ecosystem. And so what we I- want, and, and because we want our, our kids' lives at home mm-hmm. to be as close as possible to their lives at school, if we can bring what kids do at home Kids, kids go home and they beat their heads against keyboards every day to beat that level, to kill that boss, to finish that mission, whatever it is that they're playing. They're going to they're gonna literally smash their heads against the keyboards all night until we tell them to get off the computer um, to do that. But, you know, we put a math 
thing in front of them, even if it's what we think is really cool, we put a math thing in front of them and they don't care, they, they're not interested at all, we need to find a way to get those two things as close together as possible, their experience at home and their experience at school. And I think that there's no possible better way to do that than video games. And I think that, you know, a powerful way to do that within video games is through esports. Well, and I think you bring up a good point. I think when a lot of educators will see video games, kids go home and play video games like Fortnite and all these things. And they're like, oh, this is such a waste of time. But, but you're right. That is, that is what is engaging those kids. So how do you use project-based learning to, to do that? Right. Well, I mean, so you build up, like I said, you build up this ecosystem, you build up this, uh, let's say, okay, kids, we are going to create an esports team, a Rocket League team. This is this is what um, uh, Chris Aviles and um, Steve Isaacs are doing in New Jersey. They're, they're having tournaments against each other playing Rocket League. It's a great game, super low barriers to entry. It's, it's kid-friendly. There's no mm-hmm. guns. There's no violence. It's literally cars playing soccer. Right. Uh, and I mean, it's it's rad. If you haven't played Rocket League, you should absolutely go play Rocket League on whatever device you have, because I think it's available for almost anything at right. this point. Um, so let's create a, a Rocket League team. Okay, so we have a team now. We have the people that we think are going to be good at playing. Maybe we even have a, um, a, a, a substitute player. So we have like five people that are the, the players. We need a coach. We probably need an assistant coach. And then mm-hmm. what else do we need? So let's say we want to stream the Rocket League um, tournament that we're going to play against another team. We want to stream that online. So we need maybe announcers. We need someone to do play-by-play. And maybe we need someone to do what they call shoutcasting in esports. I think that's a terrible term. But the, the, the color commentary, the, right. the, um, we need the Bob Cole and we need the Harry Neal to do, a, to do a really good hockey reference there. And so you need the, those two folks. We probably need some script writers. Uh, we need some people to, um, if you really wanted to, to, to you know, flash it up a bit, you could have commercials in the middle and then you could do um, script writing for those as well. You need video. You need people to manage, you know, the stream and the chat. If you were having a chat, you need maybe a social manager, um, a community manager that can run the chat, uh, initiate conversation with people who are watching. Uh, maybe you do a commercial. Maybe you build a commercial as part of the project for not only the tournament, but maybe after the tournament. Maybe you do a newscast as a project, an assignment where you have kids um, relay the events and what happened in the in the um, in the event at the time, so now you need a, a, a you know an anchor desk and a, people to do that, and maybe those aren't the same kids as the kids that are interested in talking uh, about it, you know, in the play-by-play. Those are two different skills. Some people just don't like being in front of a camera. Um, they can talk all day into a microphone, but don't like being on camera. Two different kids potentially. So you can see how you know, and I'm just riffing here. And you can, you can see how you can build out an entire gigantic ecosystem that encapsulates almost the whole class in this project by, by developing an esports ecosystem. It's, it's, there are a lot of complications to it, and I'm making right. it seem super yeah. simple, but you can see how you can get 25 kids involved in this in a, so many different ways, right? 
Oh, no, yeah, you're absolutely sure. right because, I mean, going into this conversation, first, just a little preface, I'm not a gamer. Like, my idea of gaming is the last video game system that I owned and played on a regular basis was a Super Nintendo. And now today, right. I have the Super Nintendo Mini and the NES Mini that yeah. comes preloaded with the 30 games or whatever, and then I hacked my NES, and I shouldn't say that because technically you're not supposed to do that, but I added another 30 games or so to it. So now I have, between the two systems, I got about 90 games that I play every now and then. And then I played a little bit in college. One of my roommates had an Xbox, so we played some Medal of Honor and then the various sports games. But other than that, I'm just, I'm not much of a gamer. So coming into this conversation, my whole idea and my knowledge of esports was, oh, it's a bunch of kids playing video games. And mm -hmm. is that really a sport? So, but now that you paint it in this perspective to where you can turn kids playing video games, which they're going to do anyway, right. now, I, I'm, still, I'm still a proponent of everything in moderation, whether that's video games, social media, and all sorts of things. But I mean, that's another conversation. But now that you're talking about how you're going to have, especially with the games where it's multiplayer, you're talking about collaboration skills, right? Where... Yeah. With a game like, um, I, I always think back to the episode of South Park where they're playing World of Warcraft and they had to work together yep. to defeat the guy that was just taking everybody out. But fast forward to real life, you're talking about a skill that where you've got a group of students playing a video game that they have to be able to collaborate together in order to be successful in that game. And then you start working into a project-based learning activity where some of the students are going to be the players. Some of the students are going to write the script for a video play-by-play. Right. -play. Some are going to be the broadcasters. So um, you mentioned your hockey uh, reference there a few moments ago. You could have the person that's just completely out there, like the Don Cherry, giving their commentary in between and whatever. Right. So there's so many different things that I never thought of because of just my ignorance towards what esports really is, I wrote a I wrote a paper in my my postgrad uh, on World of Warcraft. I, I wrote a an ethnography an ethnography man that's a mouthful. Uh, basically, on my firsthand experience playing World of Warcraft and what that taught me about education. And Whoa. this right and well think about think about this. Let me paint this picture for you. It's about being a guild leader in a mm -hmm. high end world of warcraft raiding guild and if those terms let, let me i'll define some of those terms a raid is a a raid is a large group of players doing a, a dungeon together doing that piece that that you were talking about coordinating together and working together on uh defeating a, a series of bosses mm -hmm. in a in an instanced area um a guild is a group of uh, a larger group potentially larger group of players um, that just play together and work together and operate together, almost like a company inside the game. So when you have a guild, and if you are a um, uh, someone that is rating the highest level content in World of Warcraft, the stuff that's the hardest, the brand new stuff that's come out, this is not easy to do. And anyone right. who's ever done this knows that this isn't easy to do. On its like, you have to be supremely coordinated as a guild to to do this stuff and to do it well and the 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 amount of work and effort it takes to be a high-end uh, guild leader 
is akin to being like a top tier manager at any company in the world. Mm -hmm. If you know, if I was hiring someone to help me run a company and they told me that they were um, the guild leader of Method, Method is a, a very top tier guild leader, uh, or guild. I, I would hire that guy. I don't know if it's a guy, but I would hire that person instantly because I know exactly what it takes to do that. How much work that person is putting, I guarantee you, it's at least 40 hours a week hmm. of work just to be that good at that game. Right. And and so, um, you know, games take this amount of this effort that, um, and kids, the, the, the thing that I referenced before, the kids are willing to put in this effort. That's right. the crazy thing. Right. Is that they're they're dying to put this amount of effort into something? Um, Jane Mag Jane McGonigal um, in her book Reality Is Broken calls it the right hard work. Mm -hmm. She talks about the idea that kids and, and anyone, frankly anyone anywhere, will do um, will work incredibly hard at something if it's the right work for them. Will do anything, right. anytime. Will bash their heads against something just to get it done. If it's the right hard work, it's what made me a teacher because I was in sales before that and it was the wrong hard work. It was terrible. It was hard and I hated it. And so I was investing as little effort as possible into it. Now I'm a teacher and you can't pry me away from my computer to do work because I'm, I love what I do. It's right. the right hard work. It's still hard, but it's the right hard work. And so we need kids to, to feel like school is the right hard work for them. And I, I just, again, I don't think that there's a better way to do that than games. So, so Mike, like what I, the work you do now with the company you're working with, with robotics mm -hmm. and things like that, do you see, do you see companies? And I don't know if it's like the companies that are making the come out with, with a curriculum that, that aligns to video games or, or, spe, or create specific video games for schools. Cause I could see, I could see schools wanting to do this. And, you know, and, and, but then going, well, where do I start? Like, I have all these kids. How do I get started? Perfect question. So, um, uh, two things I'll, I'll talk about the robots first. And that's mm -hmm. that one of the things that um, is great about robotics as it relates to school is that robots are a thing that you're holding in your hand. They are an actual mm -hmm. physical object. And even when I was a computer science teacher and teaching graphic design, I was really passionate about having kids print their work off because I wanted them to have that artifact, that thing in their hand when they were done that was, see, this is what I've done. Look what mm -hmm. I made. And even when we did game design, the great thing about game design, again, was that they had, it may not have been a physical object, but they still had something to, to show for it. They were like, look what I've made. Uh, isn't this great? Um, and, and so robots are something that are in their hand and they can interact with and they can show people what they've learned just by using it and interacting with it. Now, there are two competing things related to actual video games in the classroom that are important to reference. And there's a small group of um, really passionate games-based learning educators that we'll call the first ones uh, chocolate-covered broccoli. Uh, you know, these are the the absolutely garbage games that are right. being made by people like Nelson and McGraw-Hill mm -hmm. um, that are packaged in textbooks and, and sold um, as uh, an add-on to the textbook. Look at us. We're doing games-based learning. This is a really cool math game. 
you should buy it for an extra, you know, $5 a seat. Um, and we'll put the CD or CD, right? I mean, we'll put the, we'll put the download code in the textbook and then you can have your kids play this game. The game is terrible and the kids know it right away. It's garbage. It's chocolate covered broccoli. It's, it's the polished turd to, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I'm going to say it anyways. (laughs) No, we can definitely say that, but but, we laugh about the whole CD thing, but there are still textbook companies that are sticking cd right. or dvds in their textbooks well, and right. it's such an outdated concept and right you know and that just makes when you talk about these chocolate covered broccoli garbage games that just makes them even worse because of how they're being accessed right well, it's I, ridiculous and i've seen kids with these with these kind of games figure out at a very young age how to manipulate the game to get the to get the prize to get the little yeah. the little a little outfit for my character or whatever. I've seen kids totally manipulate the game, which to me is a whole other high level skill. I'm like, great, you're doing math, but I'm really more interested that you figured out how to cheat at the game. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's like it's like the, the learning objective shouldn't be winning the math game. It's the it's the twenty first century skills yes. actually that you're learning as a result of, as a result of cheating. Right. Um, well and it's kinda of like yeah. how I, you know, did not hack my NES mini and add a bunch of extra games. I figured out a way because if you look at the original, you improved the design there. Right. That was yeah. The that was Io. Io Canderson did that. I that that did did that hack. Not you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So, but the original thirty games they put on the NES, there's some great mm-hmm. ones on there. It gives you the original Mario's one, two, and three. Yeah. yeah. After Mario, Excite Bike. There's some great games on there, but then there's some absolute awesome. trash games yeah, I've never even heard of. I'm like, right. what is this Star Tropics? Like, what? Oh, that- Star- well, Star it's Tropics a- is a is a legit it, game. Is it? It's, I've never heard not, of that. It's it's not a great defender. Okay, come on. Defender was <laughs> but it's either not- way, I didn't. I wanted to have games like the original Contra because I mean, yeah, if yeah. I can remember anything from my childhood, Castlevania is up, up, oh, yeah. down, down, left, right, right, <laughs> B, A, B, A, start. Yeah. <laughs> I that, so I had to hack that thing to add that on. Yeah. Um, so, so let's actually talk about the other half of this, which yeah. is the actual real games. Um, so um, there is a company and I'm going to plug them because uh, they are the people doing this the best. It's teacher gaming. Uh, so teacher gaming actually takes real games and inserts curriculum objectives and learning objectives and ideas related education into them. Uh, the best example of this is a super super um, popular game, City Skylines. This is basically the the next generation of Sim City, um, uh, which is you know my my absolute jam. So City Skylines, super popular, really well designed, awesome game, sold like a truckload of copies of this game. Um, Teacher Gaming got a license to 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 basically um, branch off of that and create an environmental uh, lesson uh, project um, based in City Skylines. So in City Skylines now. Um, there is a there's an edu version it's available uh, at teacher gaming and you can go there and you can download uh, this version of city skylines that also now has uh, a an environmental uh, pollution I believe it's a pollution curriculum kind of lesson built right into it 
and they've done this with tons of other games and there are uh there are some not like commercially available games but what these guys are doing is actually making good games um and, and so that's one way to approach this the other way to approach this is to take games that don't aren't haven't been eduified for lack of better words right okay and just be creative and find the education in them things like so there isn't a for example um sid meyer civilization mm -hmm. so there isn't a civilization edu yet i mean hopefully there would be yeah but there's tons of learning in oh, civilization yeah. uh kurt squire who's uh you know a, a pretty renowned professor at uh, university of california irvine wrote his phd thesis on civilization three in the social studies classroom uh you know there's literally um academia that could that could drown you in journal articles about how using a commercially available game can be related to education and, and i mean again we all know the story of minecraft mm -hmm. um but but this was the teacher gaming teacher the folks that own that run teacher gaming were the original minecraft edu folks um to to put a connection there uh, so when Minecraft got bought by Microsoft, these folks went and did teacher gaming. Uh, but Minecraft EDU was just some people finding, you know, the education in Minecraft and then building out on that. And there's opportunity for that all over the place, like with tons and tons and tons of games, like World of Warcraft. I right. mean, I, I could tell you all of the value, um, you know, especially the 21st century skills value. Of playing of playing World of Warcraft with your class, I'm sure you would never find any school anywhere that would let you do that. Unfortunately, right. But but we should 100. Yeah. percent Right. Well, and that's I I wonder because at some point we're gonna look at Fortnite and we're gonna have to figure out a way to like uh, tap, to tap into what could, I mean, and I remember because having taught for a long 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 time, like when Pokemon cards first came out, and I was like, all right. I have kids who can't read but can tell me all about this Pokemon card and play this yep. super complicated game. And I'm like, yep. I just need to teach them to read with the Pokemon cards. That's it. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And I'm good to go. So. I, I, we t I used to talk all the time about the schematics for build projects in Minecraft mm -hmm. and how, I mean, the step-by-step the, the, the -step instructions that a kid would have to follow to build, for example, a redstone elevator. Right. This is like grade 10 level um, just, um you know schematics and 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 uh, instructions, and you have literally eight and nine year olds building redstone elevators. Um, it, it's it's about finding the right hard work. It's it's right. nothing other than that. For sure. Cool. Well, I gotta say that this conversation has really opened up my eyes a lot, based on the whole esports thing. Because again, I I was ignorant to the whole deal coming into this conversation and just. You you've presented so much, um, and we in our last up one of our last episodes we came up with a new term um, hashtag firehose PD. This is certainly right. a drink from the firehose right now. Yeah, with it, but I mean, it, it's given me a place to start now where I can look into this and start seeing more of the benefits rather than just my original thought of esports is just a bunch of kids playing video games. So I yeah. commend you, Mike. This is great. Yeah, this that Thanks, was man. this was awesome. It's it's something that we all know about as educators, like, and, and I hear teachers all the time, you know, oh my gosh, all these kids do is play video games. It's, it's great to hear like how we can leverage that into learning opportunities. And, and it sounds like you're like way ahead of the curve on that. Yeah, I'm pretty passionate about 
uh, video games and education. Again, it's it, it's it's a little bit you know personal in the sense that I'm trying to like I said bring my job close to my passions. Um, but we should be doing that at school too. Right. Uh, like I like I've said, and it's literally my mo is you know how can we make kids you know experiences at home closer to their experiences at school. We bring those two things as close together as possible, and we've solved education. Well, first sure. again, Mike, for chatting with us today, and uh, I recommend to everybody listening out there, find the On Education podcast and give Mike and his partner, Glenn, a listen. Uh, phenomenal podcast. I've listened to several episodes. Yep. Um, you've had some great guests on there as well, so definitely check that out. And then um, you need to really check out his Twitter feed as well. So, Mike, could you share your Twitter handle with the listeners, please? Yeah, you can follow me at Mr. Washburn, not MR. It's uh, at M-I-S-T-E-R, Washburn, W-A-S-H-B-U-R-N, uh, at Mr. Washburn. And the podcast uh, feed is at On Education Pod. Right. Outstanding. So, well, thank you very much, and uh, I look forward to continuing conversation with you online and then maybe at some point down the road, whether you make it out west or we make it out east, we uh, – We'll meet up in real life and we can have this virtual beer turn into a real one and have some more great conversation. Yeah, that'd be rad. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, Thanks man, it was awesome. Thanks for being on, Mike. We appreciate it. Want to keep the conversation going and share some of your thoughts on today's topics? Email us at beeredupodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us using hashtag beeredupod. Hit us up on Facebook and be sure to follow Mike on Twitter. You can also send us a voice message using the Anchor app or our Google Voice number, 775-298-6672. Would you like to be a guest on the Beer EDU podcast? Visit our website, bit.ly slash podcast. Click on the contact and subscription info link and complete our guest form. Wow, Ben, what a conversation we just had with Mike Washburn. Yeah. Mike, Mike was such an awesome guest. Totally, totally changed my perspective, I guess, on, on like what I thought esports were and like, and their, their educational value. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. I just, um, I had, it never even dawned on me to think about how you could turn a couple of kids playing video games into an entire class project like that, where writing a script to narrate, having somebody narrate it the videoing and then you could have yeah. somebody behind a green screen. I mean, there's so many things that he just brought to light to me that just completely changes my view on esports and, and whatnot. So what yeah. a, what a great conversation yeah, for sure. Like it, the, yeah, he had so many great ideas, so many, so passionate about what he does and, and, and getting, getting uh, things that kids are doing now and they're passionate about and turning that into educational value. I, I think that's so awesome. Absolutely. So make sure that you're following him on Twitter. Uh, we have that mm -hmm. in the show notes. Um, his podcast on education. He and his partner, yeah. Glenn, that hosts that show. They are always presenting great stuff. They've got great guests on there. So definitely check all that stuff up. Interact with Mike online. Yeah, for sure. Check him out. So this is uh, one of the good times that we always have on our podcast here is when we educate ourselves a little bit by learning a little bit about beer. So Ben, what do we have yeah. this week to learn about? So we're going to talk about what is a milk stout. And I have to, I have to be honest, I, I I've had milk stouts, but I didn't know exactly what, what all went into them. So 
These are also known as your cream stouts or a sweet stout. And what it is is you have lactose sugar is added to the brew. And what that does is the yeast, it cannot ferment lactose sugar. So um, it gives that beer that sweeter taste. Um, it has a creamier mouthfeel. Um, it's just a kind of a smoother kind of pour. Um, they, they have a new style, which is out there called a milkshake IPA. And that's where you use a lactose in an IPA. And that gives it that sweetness and mouthfeel, but still keeping that balance between the malts and the hops. Yeah, it's, you know, you say the lactose sugar. And so instantly what I kind of thought of is uh, those that are lactose intolerant cannot have this beer. So, which is really unfortunate yeah. because they're really missing out on these. But um, but as sure. for that milkshake stout, or excuse me, milkshake IPA, I've had a couple. Lead Dog Brewing in Reno has made a couple. And mm -hmm. I, I was always kind of weirded out when I first heard about them coming out. I'm like, that just sure. sounds so strange and weird. And I'm just not sure I was going to like it. But it still tasted like an IPA, but it just had that that creamier mouthfeel to it like a milk stout does and uh the ones because of so many ipas can have like those tropical flavors and the citrus flavors it really tasted like with the mouthfeel at least like a milkshake that was more citrus or tropical in nature so it was very interesting yeah i and i haven't had one of those and I, i'm curious to try one i i, I want to check one of those out so but um there are definitely plenty of milk stouts out there that are really good yep. ones i know you've had a lot of these ones that we have on the list uh great basin that i was having earlier in the podcast their outlaw is a fine yes. example of a milk stout left hand makes one uh just their name it's called milk stout that's a really good one um if you're Looking to our friends across the pond, Young's Double Chocolate Stout is a really good one. I used to get that one a lot at a place called the Crown and Anchor in Las Vegas when I lived there. Um, I haven't had it yet, but I believe you turned me on to one called Zoco Vesa by Stone. Yeah, yeah, and I've had that one. That's a good one. Yes, I need that to check that one out. I haven't had that one yet. And then uh, one that I believe you have not had yet, but I mm -hmm. haven't really liked is the Belching Beaver Peanut Butter Milk Stout, which is a coffee, a chocolate milk stout, but then they add peanut butter to it as well, so it just takes it to a whole different level. It's definitely a dessert beer. Yeah, I, I had seen some. I was somewhere, and I can't remember where I was, but I, I saw it, but it was like in a 12-pack, and I was like, I was a little like, I'm like, am I gonna like it? Am I gonna, am I gonna end up drinking one and having 11 sit in my fridge? But you're saying, you're saying it's worth a buck. Uh, I think you'd be okay with a 12-pack, and even if you cool. weren't entirely keen, I could definitely help you out. <laughs> well, there is that, definitely. So, well, and then this weekend coming up, you are going to be traveling to kind of a beer mecca with hopefully some uh, bringing home some really good stuff. So let's tell the listeners a little yeah. bit about that. So I'm uh, headed for my anniversary weekend with my wife, and we are, we're headed to Sonoma, and and normally, you know, people go to Napa, Sonoma, they do the they do the wineries and things like that. And we've done that before, and it's something we enjoy. But now we're going to do something a little different, and there are a number of breweries there. And, in fact, there is a brewery there that I'm super excited to get to, um, Russian River Brewing. And they do, right now, probably my favorite beer. And you definitely, you turned me on to this one, and that's Pliny the Elder. And, and we need to thank Christina Mattis for that one because she brought that to us 
to yes. share on a recent episode of the podcast here. So um, yeah. I'm really jealous that you're heading <laughs> over there. So I'm hoping that you can maybe bring a few of those back. Because I, that's that, my plan. That That's a beer that, and really anything in life, anytime something gets super hyped up, right. I don't get too excited. I usually take it with a grain of salt. But um, that was definitely a beer that lived up to the hype. Well, and you know, what's funny about that is I'd heard about that beer from other people. Um, in fact, somebody I work with, she she grew up there, and she knew exactly where I was going to go. And she's like, oh, you have to get some. It's one of her husband's favorite beers. So I'm like, all right, man, we, we have to go check it out. So, so I'm super excited. I definitely will be bringing some back. Very nice. And then hopefully you'll be bringing back some other stuff from Russian River and other breweries yep, because for sure. we'll have something to sample then for episode 14 that we're going to start working on here pretty soon. Yeah, that's our next episode, and that one's going to be coming up. We're, we're hoping to drop that soon. Yes, yes, um, yes. So um, looking forward to that one. So, Ben, congratulations to you and your wife on another year of marriage. Um, you have thank you. fun in the beer mecca of Russian River, Lagunitas, and all the above this weekend. And for all the listeners out there, thank you for listening. And until next time, may the malts and the hops be with you. Right on. Hey, everybody, it's Kyle again. Hey, still working on getting episode 50 out to you. Ben and I are super stoked about this one. So here's another great episode from the archive. This one, Gaming and Education with Mike Washburn. Hope you enjoy.